0: My name is Mike, and I get to bring God's Word this morning. Uh, before we start, just to say it's, uh, it's good. It's good to see uh, some faces that haven't been seen in a long time, whether it's uh, over the past uh, 14 days uh, for some unexplained reason, uh, whether it's from Christmas holidays, uh, whether it's uh, someone who hasn't been back for the past year, or even first time. Uh, so glad you're here. And um, uh, this is kind of a, a once-off message Uh, We're going to be starting uh, a new series in the book of Colossians next Sunday, and this is uh, essentially kind of a, I don't know, once-off, Happy New Year-type message. Uh, I'll tell you, this is the result of attending a Wednesday night prayer meeting, just to kind of hype those. I was at a Wednesday night prayer meeting once, and just... All this just got downloaded into my brain, and uh, I've been trying to scribble it out, and I hope that it makes sense to you, because it makes a lot of sense to me, Uh, but just want to amplify or remind you the invitation for the Wednesday night prayer meeting um, is is there. Obviously, space is limited, so please make sure that you register in advance. All right, so you heard Eileen read from the end of Ephesians, and then also Revelation. Um, We're going to be flipping from a lot of sections Uh, these, uh, this morning. It's going to be different, but I'm going to pray, and then I got something to say. Lord, uh, be with us, I I, I ask. Um, I don't ask you to start being with us, because Lord, your presence has been manifest already as we gathered in your name, but I pray that Spirit of God, in that special and unique way, um, that you accompany the proclamation of your word. Uh, would you do so? Um, in, in the mouth of the preacher and in the ears and most importantly the hearts of the hearers, whether in this room, whether watching online, live or later, um, as Jesus said, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So... At the beginning of your relationship, you were all smiles and passion. After some time, though, those euphoric feelings faded. Now you find yourself reminiscing back on those good times instead of looking forward to the future. Uh, If this sounds like you, you may be wondering, am I falling out of love? That's the opening words of an article on brides.com entitled Eight Signs That You're Falling Out of Love With Your Partner and What to Do About It. Now, I bring that up because my wife has access to my browser history on the computer and I just want her to know that I was researching a sermon. (laughs) Yeah, so... Rachel and I, next month, will be celebrating our 18th year of, of marriage, and so I'm just saying, <laughs> it was sermon research, honey, all right? <laughs> but you know, there's plenty of endeavors and examples in recent years, and, and we could even look at the historical um, accounts of, of initiatives, of endeavors, that start with all the right intentions and strength, and then things falter, things sputter or crash out in the end. I am uh, reading a book uh, these days entitled "The Rise and Fall of Christian Ireland." It's written by uh, Professor uh, Crawford Gribben. He's a lecturer up at uh, Queen's University in Belfast. Um, it's, it's been a, a good read uh, so far, uh, kind of a history book, uh, but obviously written, written by a believer who also is a scholar, talking about the impact and the, impact, uh, the effect of the gospel that Patrick preached and how it has shaped and gained influence and then lost influence in this country that we call home. Uh, There also is a similarly titled podcast that took the world by storm, documenting the rise and fall of a Seattle megachurch that maybe some of you are familiar with. Uh, But I wanna talk to you this morning not about the history of our country, not about some church over there, uh, but looking at a church in the New Testament that we actually seem to have more information about than, from my recollection, any other community of believers in the whole New Testament. Um, I want to talk to you about the church of Ephesus. And so this morning's sermon is called The Rise and Fall of the Ephesian church. And we have quite the collection of Bible passages that are either to or about the Ephesian church. And I think I have a slide of all of them, and then we'll kind of work through them chronologically uh, bit by bit, briefly on, on each of those. Briefly. So, the church in Ephesus, the, the first gathering of Christians together. So first off, Ephesus, it's a real place. It's It currently exists. It's on the, the coast of modern-day Turkey, uh, formerly called Asia Minor. Uh, this this city, about 250,000 people, which is similar in size to, to Cork City proper. And uh, we can read in Acts chapter 18, if you want to flip there, um, about the beginning of followers of Jesus gathering in the city of Ephesus. At the end of Acts 18, in verses 24 uh, down to verse 28, uh, we learn about kind of the origin story of the community of believers in the city of Ephesus. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus." This seems to be uh, the entry point of the gospel of Jesus into the city of Ephesus, a man who didn't even have perfect or complete theology. He didn't know even about the death and resurrection of Jesus, which, you know, spoiler alert, is pretty important, Uh, but he knew that he was the promised one of the Old Testament. He knew all that John the Baptist preached, and he communicated that with power, competency, and authority in the city of Ephesus. Aquila and Priscilla show up. And they're like this New Testament power couple. And they appear throughout the New Testament. They kind of show up bit by bit here and there uh, at these key moments of expansion in the church. And they help him out. They kind of iron out and fill in the gaps in his theology a bit. And then in the next section, we see that, that God moved in such a way that the Apostle Paul arrives on the scene of ancient Ephesus, and then he gives instructions to people uh, that have learned a little bit about Jesus, uh, and there's still more for them to learn. Uh, He doesn't just give information to people who are lacking content. Uh, We read in the early verses of John chapter 19 that he also prays and equips and like encourages people to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's, again, not just instruction, but also the Holy Spirit in power. For three months, he focuses his ministry uh, amongst the Jewish uh, collection that's there. Uh, there's a synagogue where faithful Jews gather, and he, like Apollos before him, spent time talking to them from the Old Testament scriptures, pointing towards Jesus as the Christ. After about three months... He kind of ran out his welcome. Paul usually ran out his welcomes, and he was often ran out of town. But he was there after, like, beating the same drum Saturday after Saturday. Eventually, they want no more of him. And so Paul says, you know what? That's fine. There's other people who live there. And after three months, he intentionally focuses on the larger Gentile population of Ephesus. You can read about it in verse 9 of chapter um, 19, where the, what they did is they rented a school hall. Kind of like this. They rented a school hall, and then he had daily Bible studies. One day, guys. We'll get there. One day. And so daily, probably people think on, the, on their lunch breaks, maybe it was an evening study, but day by day, he taught the Bible, and, and through that, had a regional impact. Uh, we can read in verse 11 down to verse 20 that the impact was not just far across the, the region, but also was reaching deep into the spiritual darkness of the city of Ephesus as well. He showed the supremacy of Christ over the demons and spiritual powers and authorities in Ephesus. And you can read in verse 21 and following that it actually made an impact on the financial industry of the city. Uh, They were an idol-making city. Uh, there was statues of Diana and other gods and goddesses that were like a cottage industry. They were concerned that so many people were forsaking idolatry and worshiping Jesus instead that the silversmiths and the blacksmiths and that trade union, they got together to try to kick Paul out of town. Uh, the people riot. That's the end of John, um, Acts 20. In Acts chapter sorry, 19, The very next verse, it says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and then after encouraging them, he said farewell, and he went on to Macedonia. So Paul sticks around for a little while, encourages the disciples, and then he moves on to his next assignment. Uh, One scholar says that the picture now is that a church that's been carefully nurtured to the point of vitality. He says, I've been here for like three plus years. We've just weathered this storm together, and I'm going to go stir up trouble somewhere else. I'm going to leave you guys to deal with this. And then off he goes uh, to the next place. He journeys around there, Acts chapter 20. He he goes doing his Apostle Paul thing, starting more churches, preaching the gospel elsewhere. Uh, But then he gets it in his mind, he needs to go back to Jerusalem. And he's got this funny feeling that it's going to be possibly his last trip there. And so period of time passes he comes back to Jerusalem but he makes sure to go out of his way to stop nearby Ephesus so that he could speak to the leaders and the elders of the church in Acts chapter 20 verse 29 and following I mean verse 17 he's in a place called Miletus and then he sends to Ephesus and calls for the elders of the church to come to them. When he came, he said, you know how I've been. I've spent all this time with you. He says, now I want to encourage you on this. He says, I've taught you the word. You know the word. I'm not guilty of withholding anything useful from you. He says, here's something that you need to know. In verses 29 and following, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, he says, be alert, remembering that for three years I didn't cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. So he says... I don't think this Jerusalem trip is going to end well. Here's some par- parting words. Trust in the Lord, he says, but be on the lookout for wolves among you that are going to bring this false or destructive teaching. So it says they embrace, they hug, they kiss, and then he goes away to Jerusalem. And wouldn't you know it, he gets arrested. And then wouldn't you know it, as a prisoner, he then is sent to Rome, and then while he's there, he writes these letters that are called the prison epistles. And then he's like in and out of prison, and as he's writing these letters, three of the letters that Paul writes have to do with um, the the city or the church of Ephesus. Anyone want to guess the first one? What's the first letter called? Ephesians, yeah. So he writes the letter of Ephesians uh, to them. He also writes two short letters uh, to Timothy. Um, Timothy is kind of leading the church in Ephesus after Paul has gone away. So he gives instructions to Timothy about how to pastor and care for the church at Ephesus. So we have Paul's letter to Ephesus, and in there he encourages them. Be have good doctrine, trust in the true Jesus, and then he ends with a charge to love. Eileen read it from the ESV translation that we use. It says, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. There's a slide up there that has it in the NIV, which I like that. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So he instructs them in doctrine. He tells them what to treasure and what to defend. And then he ends it. The last thing is make sure you have an undying love for Jesus. Next, we look at what he writes to Timothy. I call it his kind of leadership coaching to Timothy. He writes to Timothy, whom he considers a son in the faith, who has this unique role of responsibility and leadership in the Ephesian church. Acts chapter 20 shows that there's this team of elders that had responsibility for the church, and there's one of them that Paul gives instructions, has this kind of unique role. He says in 1 Timothy chapter one, verses three, "'I urged you when I was going to Macedonia,' chapter 20, verse one, "'remain in Ephesus so that you might charge "'certain persons not to teach any different doctrine.'" nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge, he says, is love that issues from a pure heart. He says, listen, you've got to guard the doctrine. There's going to be savage wolves, there's going to be heresies, there's going to be false teachings about Jesus. But he says, the, the whole point of this, though, is love. We don't defend doctrine for doctrine's sake, but the goal is love that issues from a pure heart. Next, we move on to John's letters from Ephesus. Uh, So this one, I'm not going to spend very much time on this because this is not recorded in the Bible itself. This is like a church history or church tradition that states that the apostle John eventually, along with Mary, Jesus' mother, moved to Ephesus, and that he led the church for a period of time after Timothy did. I don't have a chapter or a verse. There's some interesting, compelling arguments for that, why that could be. I just want to say that's interesting and highlight it, but if you have read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, what is he, like, obsessed with? Love. He's like, you guys got to have good doctrine about Jesus, And you got to love people. And he says, and what good is it if you say that you love the Lord, but you aren't showing love to your neighbors? Um, And and he encourages his listeners, wherever they are, to love the Lord and to love their neighbor. So here's what he sees so far. This church was kind of planted or started in Ephesus by kind of like four well-known influential leaders, Apollos, Aquila, Priscilla, and Paul. And that gospel witness was brought in by by kind of two things. On the one hand, careful and consistent doctrinal instruction, a whole lot of Bible studies, and by signs and wonders. Uh, John Tyson has a phrase that I like. He talks about theology that can't be dismissed and power that cannot be denied. And it seems that Ephesus started off with those things. And the church experienced conflict and opposition from its very inception. First from the Jews, and then also the Greeks. First the Jews, then the Gentiles. Like, everybody took turns hating the church. And and they were used to the idea of opposition from outside, okay? But the time went on when they had problems from within. Paul warned them again and again. False teachers with a false gospel would come in. And so Paul warned them and the elders were put on high alert. He told them to be on the lookout for it. He wrote again to Timothy and says, remember what I said about be on the lookout? I really mean it. And then in like one and two Timothy, he actually starts naming names. He's like, look out for Alexander, look out for Hymenaeus. Those guys are nothing but trouble. Paul doesn't usually name names, but like towards the end of his life, he's like, listen, I don't even care. It's Hymenaeus, it's Alexander. Um, So he, writes to the church at large, he says, listen, you got to have like the doctrine right, and you got to keep loving. Here's what we're going to talk about today, and just for the last few minutes. A few decades later, Jesus himself writes them a letter, and tells this church they're actually missing the main point of everything. You see, that that section, and you can turn there, um, Revelation chapter 2, which Eileen read, it's the opening sections of the book of Revelation, which is, you know, commonly understood uh, to be a book about the end of the world and all that. Um, yeah, kinda. And it also is present communication from the risen Lord Jesus to a community of Christians that we're all going through really challenging times. And so it's a, it's a gift to the whole church at all times, at all places. And it's specific instructions to seven local churches living and active in the time of the the circulation of the book of revelation and in revelation chapter 2 and 3 there's seven like paragraphs written to seven specific churches john the apostle had a revelation of jesus jesus was revealed to him and jesus says hey take a pen get a pen i got some messages that i want to say to these various churches and the first one is this church in ephesus And you heard, as Eileen read it, but essentially, he says, you're missing the most important thing, loving the real Jesus, not just defending him as a doctrine to be believed, but loving him as a deliverer to be known is more important. Did you read it? I'm going to read the whole thing again. He says this, I know your works. your toil and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you've found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you haven't grown weary. Nevertheless, or but, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember there where you have fallen, repent and do the works I did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Final section. This is Jesus' assessment and warning of this church that started out so strong. Signs and wonders, doctrine and theology, what could go wrong? Well, they stopped loving Jesus first and foremost. According to Jesus, they're in more danger now than when the whole town was gathered against them, rioting, chanting, trying to tear them limb for limb. He's like, you guys are in danger of missing out on the point of everything. Before he gets to the negative, he says, listen, you're doing some things right. He's like, you're emphasizing doctrine more than everything else. Good job. Good job. At least you got that right. He mentions the Nicolaitans here. Uh, they're a, a group of, you know, a, a group that was an error uh, in the early church. Uh, and if you skip to the next section, we see the church in Pergamum bought their teachings, hook, Line and sinker. they loved it. They were eat, gobbling it up. Uh, but to the Ephesians, they're like, "We're not going to give any quarter to that. We've examined that. That falls out of line with the received faith. Get out of here, Nicolaitans." So he's like, "Okay, I'm glad that you're rejecting that hierarchical uh, false gospel. Um, and I also appreciate that you work hard. You know, you're you're constantly." enduring, and you're suffering, and you're not giving up. I appreciate that. There's a phrase when I first moved to Ireland that I, I, I heard loads, and I, I really enjoy it. <laughs> um, I have, I got kind of poor circulation, you know, and so I, when I shake, back when we used to shake hands, um, and uh, people would often comment that like, oh, my hands were kind of cold, and then a lot of times people would grab me, o- older gentlemen usually, they, oh, they pull me close, cold hands warm heart. <laughs> and I think, oh yeah, I like that. Cold hands, warm heart. These guys, it seems that they had warm hands, cold heart. They're very busy. <clears throat> Their calendar was full. Bible study, systematic theology, uh, ministry, this and that. We're doing all these things. We're very, very busy. Our hands are warm. And Jesus says, that's good. I'm glad you're doing those things. But your heart is cold. So again, kind of in the the Old English, at this point, it says, nevertheless, I have this against you. I kind of like the nevertheless. kind of means like, despite all those things, here's a pivot. Nevertheless means that all the good that was done in the Ephesian church didn't cancel out the bad that he's about to say. He's like, you guys are super intelligent. You love doctrine and theology. You probably know all of the different Greek words for love, but you're not showing any of it. It's kind of dead orthodoxy. It's a truth about God um, in the mind, but a heart that's unmoved by him. They were maybe concerned about extinguishing the house fire of heresy and false teachings, but they neglected to keep stoking the fire in the hearth that keeps the house warm. So what Jesus does is he urges them to, to repent. Kind of an old-fashioned word, People don't kind of like nevertheless. People don't say nevertheless and they don't say repent anymore, but Jesus says repent. Repent means to, to make a U-turn. It means to, to change and to go the opposite direction. He says to them, I invite you to get out of your routine religion and open your hearts to the real Jesus once again. So, what about us? Is this written to us? No, it's not. But is it for us? Yes, it is. Is there, is there things that we, Calvary Court, can learn uh, here? Here. Well, going back to my brides.com article, um, here are some signs that you may be falling out of love. You're not excited to spend time together anymore. You're not open with your partner. Maybe seek out opportunities to avoid your partner. Uh, You're longing for someone else. Now, again, this is obviously not the same thing. But maybe we've experienced uh, different kinds of relational breakdown, if it's a partner or a spouse. If it's within a friend group, if it's with your best friend, uh, if it's a parent to a child or siblings, uh, we kind of know instinctively and painfully, I'm sorry for bringing it up, like what it's like to just see something kind of like dissolve, a bond get more and more porous and, and weak. Well, Jesus, in love, calls them out on this, not to heap condemnation, but to say, remember where you've fallen, Repent and do the works that you did at first. Uh, I invite you into this. So how can we like, steer clear of this same danger? Or how can we climb our way out of this danger? Not know the condition of all of our hearts, so each, each of your hearts, but is this something that perhaps God brought you on the first Sunday of the year uh, to hear uh, an invitation towards wholehearted love of the real Jesus Christ? Does this mean abandoning doctrinal certainty and passion um, and and no longer caring about an accurate understanding of God and his word? I sure hope not. (laughs) I don't think so, because even after he corrects them, he says, but you know what, I'm really glad. I really agree with your anti-Nicolaitan position. (laughs) He's like, I'm all about that, so you keep that up. So doctrinal clarity, Matters then and it matters now. But I think this does mean that there's things that I'm speaking kind of broadly as a church, and I don't know if this matches up, if the shoe fits, wear it. But like, there's things that we love, you know, like a Bible centered pulpit, like a robust and theological community groups, um, hymn singing, catechism quoting verbal, plenary, inspiration-affirming, evangelical church, you know? All of those things, we are, and I believe they're useful as long as they serve as a roadmap towards Christ himself. Or maybe to put it another way, if they serve as a vehicle towards Christ himself. Like, what does it really come down to? And it comes down and, and in, it gets me every time you sing it. When we sing that song, that just says, I love you, Lord. And like, I, I sing it with all, my, I mean it, but I want, I want to mean it more because apparently that matters more than anything else. Apparently, to the Ephesians anyway, the, the rise and the fall all hinges on a love for the Lord or a love for the things of the Lord. Here's how the Apostle Paul says it elsewhere to the church in Corinth. He says, um, he says, though I, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, and if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, that I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So I want to invite you to just consider these. This is kind of the end of the sermon. Um, Again, this is kind of different than the usual ones. Next week, we'll be back to normal. We'll be going through a book. Um, but, but here's kind of an invitation for you to consider. Do you love Jesus? Uh, is that I'm not asking, like, do you attend, like, a Jesus-centered, Bible-saturated, humility-pursuing church? Like, you're here today. Cool. Do you love Jesus? And then here's a question, and this, we're at a self-reflective time of the year, aren't we? We're at a time when we look back um, and then when we also are looking forward, um, a question for you to, to really consider, and no one can answer this but you, but are you growing in your love for him or is it waning? Waning means uh, decreasing. Is it, do you love him more in January of 2022 or did you love him more back in January of 2021? is there maybe as the Ephesians probably developed. Again, I kind of feel for the Ephesians. I kind of feel for them. Like Paul kept on saying, be on the lookout for false teaching. And they're like, okay, Paul, we will. Um, And then maybe because of that, this this hyper vigilance, you know, people who have gone through like trauma oftentimes live their lives out expecting it uh, once again. And then even, like, you know, our muscles, our our body, our cells, even. Like, remember the trauma and make sure that we're never hurt again. Imagine, since after they had, who knows, some theological battle against the Nicolaitans, you know, and they won, they came out victorious, we held true to the gospel. Does that cause them to continually be suspicious of one another? Of anyone who's outside of their little tribe? Oh, we got to be on the lookout for them. And does such a culture of suspicion squeeze out pure, simple, love for God, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So I feel for them. Kind of makes sense. However, Jesus invites them to open their hearts towards love once again. Have I grown in my love to Christ? And then is there a barrier that's keeping me from just the plain, simple loving of Jesus? Uh, Maybe this is a sin to confess Uh, Maybe this also is just as you considered the past year to think, well, what are the the patterns, the habits, the rhythms, the practices that have shaped my life that are not doing me any favors? Um, So what's gonna happen actually like right now is like Kian and the the guys, the girls and guys, um, are are gonna lead us in in a song. The song is called Remembrance and it's a, a wonderful, thoughtful song. And during that, it's a time for you to to get the little communion parcel that has been left on some of your uh, chairs. We underestimated, we overestimated how many of them we had, so sorry about that. So as Rachel said earlier on, there is wafers and there is juice that's available, I believe, there and perhaps there. There. I'm gonna leave it to you if you wanna like send a representative of your group or if you individually just be safe, mind each other, give each other the space that you need. But during this song, it's a time to prepare our hearts, to ask these types of questions. Do I love Jesus? Am I growing in my love for him or is it waning? Am I combative and suspicious? What's contributing towards a lack of love or what can I thank God for an increase in love? Also, this is time to say it too, this is a, this is a meal uh, that is for believers. This is for people who would say that I, I love Jesus because I'm brought into his family through, by grace through faith. And so if this is for you, if you are a believer in Jesus, then this is a meal for you. If you're not a believer yet, you're so welcome. Uh, and this is something that this is a family meal. We invite you to... Take that first step of trusting in Christ before you take the bread or take the cup.